Welcome to this podcast featuring well-known Bible teacher, Kevin Connor. For more information, visit kevinconnor.org. All right, let's uh, pick up uh, on your notes. We've got a few verses there, but I'd, I'd like you to add to your notes just uh, refer, uh, just uh, briefly review what we shared last week. So Acts 13, and uh, we'll pick up in verse um, 20. And here the uh, Apostle Paul is uh, speaking there. So in verse 20 it says, uh, he's just giving a, a review of uh, Israel's history. It says, And after that he gave unto them judges about the space of 450 years until Samuel the prophet. So as we've seen together, Samuel is the prophet that anoints the first two kings in Israel. He anoints King uh, Saul, and then later on he anoints uh, King David. So Samuel, very important man here, uh, Samuel the prophet. And afterward they desired a king, and God gave unto them Saul the son of uh, Sis, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king. So you'll notice the three names there, Samuel, Saul, and David. So Samuel the prophet, and uh, Saul and David, the uh, first two kings over the, uh, the whole nation of Israel, the United Kingdom. Not the UK, but the United Kingdom back there. So he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Then we'll go way down to verse uh, 32. And we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, uh, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, in that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. He said on this wise, and we noticed this last week, uh, quoting from the prophet Isaiah 53, uh, I will give you the sure mercies of David. And we, as we said last week, the resurrection was the sure mercies of David. So uh, Saul interprets that for us here. As concerning that he raised him from the dead, now no more to return to corruption. He said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thy holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, fell on sleep and was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again saw no corruption. Be it known, therefore, be it known unto you therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. And by him all the believer justified from all things for which he should, uh, could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware therefore, lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. Behold, ye despisers and wonder and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which ye shall in no wise believe, though a man might declare it unto you. Uh, verse 42, I think we'll finish on there. And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles be, uh, besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Okay, now let's pick up uh, where we left off uh, last, last week here. We've seen uh, in, our, in our overview of these uh, two kings, uh, Saul was the, the first king, and uh, he reigned 40 years, and was a failure. And then we have David as the second king here, and uh, he reigns 40 years. Now, as we saw last week, about uh, 17 years into Saul, Saul's reign, David is anointed here, but we had these years of uh, trial and, and uh, tr uh, stress for David. So the first two kings and the next one, 
I think uh, Mark will be taking up next week is Solomon. So three kings that reigned over a United Kingdom for 40 years, 120 years, and then the significance of that number 20. Now, just reviewing your notes a little bit, uh, just for those who were not be able to be here last week, uh, at the beginning on our page one, we're picking up the three special things about David. Number one, David served his own generation. Going to pick that up. Number two, David did the will of God. And then number three, David was a man after God's own heart. Now, as we saw last week, uh, the significance of David, without going through all that again, about six chapters given to the life of Elijah. In the scripture, about six chapters to the life of Moses, not all the laws and everything, but 65 chapters given to uh, the life story of David, mentioned uh, 1,200 times in Scripture. More is said about him than any ex anyone except the Lord Jesus. Then we went through the book of Acts and saw how in the book of Acts they're continually referring to Psalms of David and the prophetic writings of David because David, as we sh uh, saw, was uh, a king, but also he touched the prophetic ministry and also touched the priestly ministry. And then uh, we looked at that scripture in Isaiah, how David was a witness, a leader, and a commander. Then uh, on our last session, we finished up on uh, the importance of David. And we put this overhead on the, on the overhead, all these significant things here. Maybe I'll put out the light here. All right, so we just went through these, uh, these things briefly here. Okay, that's better. Okay, so uh, all these things, as we said, we have first the natural, then the spiritual. David and his house in the Old Testament, but all pointing to Christ and his church in the New Testament. So first the natural, then the spiritual. And then, as we saw last week and our, uh, as we wrapped up there, all these things that are mentioned about David uh, in the Old Covenant, the Old Testament under the Davidic Covenant, really, they all find their fulfillment in Christ and the church. So we have the covenant of David, the seed of David, the house of David, the kingdom of David, the throne of David, sure mercies of David, the key of David, the horn of David, the city of David, the tabernacle of David, the command and order of David, the writing of David, the psalm songs and words of David, the musical instruments of David. So David is the key man. If I said to you tonight, all right, if I wanted you to give me an example of uh, uh, the meekest man uh, on earth except Jesus, who would you point to? Moses, if I wanted you to ask you, give me an example of a man who's uh, a man of faith, who would you point to? Abraham. Uh, Abraham, I would want, because Abraham is the father of all who believe. He's the father of the faithful. If I wanted a man who uh, uh, signifies uh, the uptaker, not the undertaker, who went to heaven without dying, who would you pick? Enoch. Enoch, see? So God picks out certain... Were you wrong there, uh, were you wrong there, Alistair? <laughs> I've, I've made a mistake in my life too. So, uh, <laughs> so, you know, God has picked out certain men and in these certain men and certain women, there's certain character qualities that God has exemplified. So if I wanted to ask you who was the most important person in the total Bible when it comes to the whole area of worship, who would you choose? David, no doubt about that. So it just seems God has picked out certain uh, men, certain women, and uh, emphasized some character quality uh, that points to the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, now I want you to go way over to 
What will it be? It'll be section D on your notes. Section D, and uh, we could spend many, many weeks on the whole life story of David, as you know, because we've got 65 chapters, but we're just trying to touch on some of the kings. How many have been enjoying the studies on the kings so far? Uh, we were just t uh, tossing around the idea whether we may continue into the uh, final term this year because there's uh, actually 30... Oh. Section 4. Okay. My original notes had A, B, C, D. Okay, Section 4. So, lessons for leaders from the life of David. Is that what you've got? All right, we've got the unity of the faith there. All right, so uh, uh, because there's 39 kings and one queen uh, amongst them, uh, uh, we could spend uh, many, many weeks on this. All right, so uh, lessons from David's life. Three major lessons we learn from here from David's life and from Paul's sermon to the Jews in the synagogue of Antioch in Pisidia. All right, number one, David served his generation. I'd like you to go over to, uh, let's see, a verse I want here. Oh, no, it's okay, the, the word serve there. And I think I better just check up on your notes because you have to have any fill-ins here, don't you? That's right. Yes, okay, under, the, under A there, that's right. So it's number four, lessons for leaders. Lessons for all of us from the life of David. Uh, under A here, David served his generation. You might like to just make a note of this. It's interesting that the, the word serve, the, there's, there's, uh, this word that's used here is only used once, but the general word in the New Testament that's uh, used for serving is diaconus, uh, which, from which we get the deacon, the diaconate, and uh, means to, in that case, it's used about 30 times this word is. But this word here is a totally different wor word, and I won't try to confuse you with Greek because I met a little Greek down the street the other day. But uh, it's only used once, and for those who are into Strong's and Cordons and so forth, you could put SC, which stands for Strong's and Cordons, uh, SC5256. SC5256, and the Greek word is something like this, hupereto. And it actually means, and this is the significant here, uh, point I want you to pick up here, it's actually a, to be a subordinate. So when it says uh, David served his generation by the will of God, he actually was a subordinate. And it means an, an, uh, an under-rower, an under-oarsman. How many have seen any, uh, when films were fair to Midland, uh, the old slave ships, the old sail ships where... They were down in the, in the galley there, a chain of slaves. They were the under rowers, you know, and had to take the ships into battle and everything like that. That's, this word is only used once here, and that's what Paul, uh, Paul is saying David was. David served his generation. He was an under rower. He was a subordinate. Different word entirely to this. So uh, the, word, the Greek word hupereto, hupo, means to be under, to be beneath and uh, to serve, so to be a subordinate. So that's a very interesting word. In the galley ships, the rowers were beneath the deck, pulling the oars to propel the ship. And uh, I think some of you may have seen that amazing film, Ben, ben Hur. I saw it on video, it was cheaper, and the company, <laughs> the company was better at home, because my wife could feed me candy as I was watching. <laughs> so, uh, so just briefly on that, David... David was an under-rower. He served his generation, an under-rower servant to his generation. Now, if you go back to, to uh, 
to this period of time here. What do you think this generation was like? Now, David served his generation. He's just a little whippersnapper of a boy. He's a shepherd boy here. He receives that anointing when he's about 17 years of age, something like that, and has 13 years under Saul uh, before he serves his generation in the full sense. And when he's 30 years of age, um, he, uh, he takes the throne. So over this period, so David served his generation by the will of God. What sort of a generation uh, did he serve and what sort of a generation was under Saul and uh, then under his time? You might like to take down four things. And by the way, a generation for David was about 40 years of age. 40 years, pardon me. A generation for David was about 40 years. So just put down uh, 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 several of these thoughts. First of all, it was an oppressed generation. Now, we want to learn lessons because what's our generation like? So David was living in an oppressed generation. They had been oppressed by the Philistines for years. So it was an oppressed generation. Oppressed by the Philistines. And the tragedy of this time is that as you go through the story, the whole life story of Saul... Uh, David and John and so forth, you'll find that in this period of time, here are the Israelites having to go down to the Philistines to even get their axes and their, their, uh, their uh, swords and that sharp, uh, not their swords, their axes and uh, their weapons of husbandry sharpened. They had to go, so the people of God, uh, servants and slaves to the Philistines, and they haven't got any weapons amongst them. So it was just an oppressed generation. And uh, how many think we're under an oppressed generation today? For sure. All right, number two here. It was also a very divided generation. They were oppressed by the Philistines, but they were a divided generation. Uh, they are divided over Saul and David. And you know, this is a very difficult thing, and uh, we can only try and imagine what it was like back there. But say if you and I had been an Israelite back there, here you're torn between two men. You say, they're both leaders. They're both in leadership. And as we saw last week, here is a man, Saul, who's had the anointing and he's lost the anointing. And uh, I'm sure if we had time to testify, some of us could tell of, of our own experiences. I could tell you of some of my experiences having been under what I believe was a Saul anointing, man who had the anointing and then over the years uh, drifted away from God and in his heart and ended up in a very serious immorality, and I know what I went through because uh, the person's dead now, so, okay, but uh, I know some of the things I went to when I was indirectly blasted from the platform, and just as Saul uh, threw uh, the javelin at David, and David had to escape on several times, uh, you know, lost, uh, lost anointing, and yet David wouldn't touch him. And I know the scripture was used against me many times. Well, you're not to touch the Lord's anointed. And then people say, well, Saul's not the Lord's anointed. He's lost the anointing. But even though he'd lost the anointing of the Spirit and the Spirit of God had departed from him, David would not touch him. And that's a big man that can do that. See, so as, as uh, Tale of uh, Three Kings says, you, get, you see the javelins flying at you. Don't pick up the javelin and throw it back again. <laughs> eh? So here's the biggest catch. No, you don't do that. So, you know, it was a very divided generation because here's their first king. They wanted a king. And God says, I said in pretty plain Australian the other week, God said, I'll give you a king and you'll get a belly full of him. Forty years you'll suffer under him. You want a king. You, you rejected the theocracy and now you want a monarchy. Well, you'll get it. 
And you'll cry out in that day because you'll be king. So 40 years started off well, as we saw on those steps to the enthronement, when he got kingdom power and authority as a leader, he couldn't handle it. And so to say, many ministers, many leaders, many, many ministers of the gospel and leaders of churches can't handle kingdom power. And so the people suffer under them. And uh, I had ministers say to me, oh, those dumb, stupid sheep, they're always leaving my church. I said, well, they're not all dumb. And I tell some ministers, you can take wool off sheep, but don't skin them alive. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, three or four of us do anyway. Okay, but if you haven't been under a soul system, you wouldn't fully comprehend this. But some of you have. And so, you know, we have a divided generation. They're torn. Well, we like Saul, and he was a great man, and the anointing of the prophet of God. And here we are, we're torn between, between uh, Saul and who's lost the anointing now, and yet Samuel the prophet, he's still around at the moment. He hasn't died, and he's anointed Saul, and he's anointed David. And have we got two anointeds? Sometimes uh, some of us used to say, well, is this man the only anointed? And so, you know, it's pretty, uh, that's, uh, as I think I said once before, that's when preaching and teaching becomes sinful, when a minister will use the, the pulpit to throw javelins at people. And some of you duck your head. No, I hope you don't do that here, please. Uh, okay, can you say amen? Okay, but I've ducked my head many a time. Okay, so, oh, I knew who that was for. Oh, that was for him. Oh, Father, help us. Are you laughing with me or at me? Okay, with me, yes. All right, so it was a very divided generation, and people are torn because we are forced to polarize between leaders. Well, I like Saul, and, and so, you know, we're told that the kingdom of David waxed stronger and stronger, and the kingdom of Saul waxed weaker and weaker. And I was just talking to a minister recently. I said, well, what God will do today, and he did it back there, he'll do it today, he will cause people to desert shepherds. In fact, Ezekiel's pretty strong, and he says, I'll take, I'll take my sheep out of your hand, and I'll cause the shepherds to cease from feeding my flock. And so many times the sheep get blasted. So, well, you know, do you have a shepherd's heart? I said, David had a shepherd's heart. All right, so uh, it was a very divided generation. He was hunted by Saul. The whole nation is just divided. Who's right? Who's wrong? Who do we go with, Saul or David? Both supposed to be lords and all. All right, number three here. It was also a suffering generation. I better keep moving too. The time does. I feel the time goes quicker this time of the week than any other time. Uh, sleep goes pretty quick too. All right, so it was a suffering generation because as we saw a, a couple of weeks or so back, Saul was a taker. He robbed the people right and left. He took the best of it. He'll take the best of your sheep. He'll take the best of your oxen. He'll take the best of your handmaids. He'll take, he'll take, he, he was just a taker. He took the best of everything. So it was a suffering generation. And then the last one here on this part, it was a backslidden generation. A backslidden generation. Now, as we'll, we'll touch on just briefly in a moment, but in this period of time, only once in the whole history of these 40 years do we have any record that Saul came to inquire of the priest. And I might say a couple of these things safely here, sometimes a bit more heavier with leaders, because many times I don't believe it's a, a sheep problem, many times it's a leadership problem. So you never see Saul and the elders. You have David and the elders, Solomon and the elders, 
and many, many times the leader with the elders. So there was elders, checks and balance. Never once do you have Saul and the elders, except when he said to Samuel, once the anointed left, said, I'll honor me before the elders and let them think everything's all right. Just let the save face. That's how tragic it was. And only once do we have a record of Saul ever inquiring of God to get the mind of God with the priest. And uh, as the priest, uh, and it's a funny thing in a way, uh, ironical, the priest was uh, Ichabod's uh, grandson. I mean, you know what Ichabod means? Not Shishkabob, that's what you have in Indonesia, but Ichabod. Uh, the glory is departed. And so Saul's inquiring of the priests at the ark to get the mind of God. And uh, he heard the Philistines and Russell going on. He said to the guy, oh, withdraw your hand. I haven't got time to wait on God. We've got to get in the battle. And so people are saying, see, so, you know, a man that's far from God. Whereas David, as we'll see, he sets up the tabernacle of David, the whole order of Davidic worship, whole, a whole new era. But it was a, it was a backslidden generation, no ark of God tabernacle of the Lord that was at, uh, at Shiloh had been totally neglected and uh, people were just, uh, just, just in spiritual coldness. So we have a pretty, pretty serious thing there. So an oppressed generation, a divided generation, a suffering generation, a backslidden generation. Let's just give you some scriptures without turning to it because I do need to finish uh, some of this without exhausting it. In our generation today, so, you know, applying it practically to our life, as we said Sunday, observation, interpretation, application, what sort of a generation are you and, uh, are you and I living? And how can we serve as under rowers? Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to, but to serve. Uh, turn over to one scripture on this, 1 Kings chapter 12. 1 Kings chapter 12. And I think this is a real powerful verse on the whole area of serving, you know, and all of us should have a servant spirit. And uh, uh, we've said it many times, but I'm here to serve you. Though I'm, you know, senior minister, I'm here to serve you. And uh, one of the difficult things, to be honest with you, I find it hard to let people serve me. I would rather serve than be served. And uh, people have pulled me up on that. But uh, we're here to serve you. First Kings chapter uh, 12. Very, very interesting verse here. Uh, First Kings 12. Let's get the right translation. Yes. Uh, in this case, uh, Solomon has just passed from the scene. His death. And now Rehoboam, his son, has taken the throne. And then Jeroboam, who's uh, been out of town down in Egypt, uh, has heard that Solomon's died now. In verse 6, and King Rehoboam, oh, 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 it's very appropriate today, I'll just paraphrase a little bit. The people came to uh, Rehoboam, Solomon's son, and said, listen, uh, the taxes were too heavy under Solomon. How many could say that's very appropriate today? <laughs> and uh, so uh, they said, we'd like you to make the taxes a little bit lighter. So in verse, uh, verse 6, and King Rehoboam consulted with the old men, that stood before Solomon his father while he yet lived and said, how do you advise that I may answer this people? And they spoke to him saying, look, and here's the key. If you mark your Bible, mark the word servant because that's the key to the whole thing here. Uh, they spake unto him saying, if you will be a servant unto this people this day and will serve them and answer them, speak good things to them, 
then they will be your servants forever. I mean, that is such a powerful verse to me. If you will be a servant to this people and you serve them, they'll be happy to be your servants forever. Oh, but I'm king, I'm king, I'm the senior minister. I've got, you know, bow or burn, split or lip, you know. Uh, no, if you will be a servant and serve them, then they will be happy to serve you. And see, all leadership, all of us should have, we should be a servant people, a servant spirit. So we're here to serve. And um, as I've told you before, one man in Australia said to me, Kevin, I am a benevolent dictator. And I nearly said, you're a Pentecostal Pope. But being kind, I didn't. I just, but he turned out to be that. He was a benevolent dictator. And whom he would he slew and whom he would he kept alive. Ended up in immorality and the poor, poor church suffered. People scattered everywhere. And the tragedy here is verse 8 then. But he forsook the counsel of the old men which they had given him and thought, oh, they're all folkies from the dark ages. They don't know much. And he consulted with the young men, his peers, the ones he'd grown up with. And they said, said to them, what do you think? What can he said, they said to him, look, make it tough. And uh, you know what happened there? It split the nation of Israel into two houses, the house of Jude and the house of Israel, and the nation of Israel has never been united since. It brought about the biggest division in the nation of history, uh, history, history of the nation of Israel. It's never been united since, right down to this day. All because uh, this young man, Rehoboam, Listen to his peers, peer pressure. Didn't learn some wisdom, but didn't have a servant spirit. That's the thing. So serving. Okay, just put down two or three of the scriptures on our generation so uh, we can apply that very practically. We're in an oppressed generation, a divided generation, suffering generation, backslidden generation. Put down uh, a couple of other scriptures here. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. We won't turn to it. Philippians 2, verse 5. We are living in a perverse generation. The word perverse there is a twisted generation. And boy, is our generation twisted mentally. Twisted values, twisted on so many things. Whole thinking apparatus is twisted. Brain drain. A twisted generation. Uh, Matthew 24 verse 12. A lawless generation where everybody's a lord of themselves, do their own thing, existentialism. That's the whole philosophy of existentialism. Do your own thing. It began with Satan up in heaven. So Matthew 24, verse 12, and then uh, one other one here. Uh, Matthew 12, verse 39. Matthew 12, verse 39. And Jesus spoke several times of an evil and an adulterous generation. And uh, we're certainly living in that... Uh, that type of generation. So an evil and adulterous generation. But we are here to serve our generation. So David, in spite of the condition of the generation, he was here to serve his generation. And I, I believe we want to do that. How many can say amen? Under rowers, servant spirit and attitude, not proud, arrogant or haughty, but serving our generation because our generation needs God. All right, number two, or number B it is, David did the will of God. There's seven things here and if we had time to milk them, we would. But I'll put them on the overhead and uh, touch on a couple of things here. Uh, or just before I do, just before I put your answers on the overhead. 
Just let me say something about on the, on the whole area of the will of God. I'd like you to turn to three scriptures on this, and they are not on your notes. Let's turn to Isaiah 14. Isaiah 14. And uh, we share some of these things in Bible college, but I'd just like to mention it uh, here again. Isaiah 14. Uh, put down three scriptures I'll give you, and we'll look at them uh, quickly, and then I'll comment. Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 14. Then Titus 1, verse 7. I'll give you the scriptures first. Titus 1, verse 7. And then 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 10. So I'll say those scriptures again. Isaiah 14, verses 12 to 14. Titus 1, verse 7. And then 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. All right, let's listen to the Isaiah 1, verse 12. Most expositors, not all, but most expositors believe this refers to the fall of Satan or Lucifer. Uh, how art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer? And Lucifer means day star, son of the morning. How are you cut down to the ground which did weaken the nations? For you have said in your heart, and if you haven't marked your Bible on this, we refer to this as the five... So number two, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. So self-exaltation. You notice self-ascension and self-exaltation. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. Self-enthronement. I, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. Self-ascension again. And then I will be like the Most High. Self-deification. I will be like God. Yet you will be brought down to hell to the sides of the pit. Titus 1 and verse 7, I'll quote it. Concerning the qualifications of an elder or a bishop there, a bishop is not to be self-willed. Self-willed. And then 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 10, I'd like you to look at this one. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 10. And uh, Peter's talking about characteristics of uh, people today. He says, but chiefly them that walk after the flesh and the lust of uncleanness. And you'll notice the progression, I believe, here. Number one, they despise government. Two, presumptuous are they. Three, self-willed. Four, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. So they despise government, presumption, self-willed. They're not afraid to speak evil of dignities. Now, I'm saying this in contrast to David doing the will of God. Now, all of us have to face this. I had to face it, I still have to face it. We all have to face it. Uh, in, in Bible college, we put it this way. Way back in eternity, when God uh, created the angels, he created the angels, and I don't know how else to say this until I get something better, or someone gives me a better, better way of presenting it. Um, he didn't create the angels zombies or robots. He took uh, what I call a risk of creating the angels and mankind with a free will. If you have a free will, you must have the power of choice between at least two things. So now, as long as the angels moved in harmony and submitted their free will to the will of God, so I'd put on this line, the will of God, because God's will is only good. Everybody can say amen to that, uh, that you might know what, and prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. God only wills the best for us. So God's will is holy, good. He only wants the best for us. So God's will. Now, as long as the angels submitted, submitted their free will 
You see, if you don't have a free will, you're a zombie or a robot. As long as they submitted their free wills to the will of God, there's harmony. You, you see, you can't have harmony in a home. How many of you who are parents have had kidlets? You know they've got a will of their own. I know that. I used to belt Mark. And I told my wife I was belting her out of him. Because the woman was the first sinner. You know that, ladies. <laughs> Have I lost you there? Oh. Yeah, but just to balance that out, just to encourage you, when Paul writes the book of Romans, he says, by one man sin entered the world. So we got the blame. <laughs> okay, back to this. Wow. Oh, how am I going to ever do this? Okay, harmony. So as long as the angels are moving in harmony and submitting their free will to the will of God, you've got harmony. But there came that time in, e in eternity when uh, this being, Lucifer, said, I will. Five times. I will, I will, I will. And playing on the word cross. The word cross, simple word, but it simply means this. A cross is the uh, two thoughts, two ideas, two wills, two concepts uh, running in opposite directions. So the moment Satan said, I will, I will, I will, what did he do playing on that word? He crossed God's will. And the cross actually originated in heaven, not on earth. It came to earth, but it actually originated there. And now all the angels are put to the test. You're either going to do God's will and submit your free will to God's will, or else you're going to do Satan's will, which is self-will. And so I believe that's what went on in heaven as, uh, as, uh, as Satan buzzed around the angels and said, ah, oh, you're not free will creations. You have to submit your free will. You're just a slave to God's will, you dum-dums. Why don't you come and join my, I'm going to do my thing and set up the Anglican church. Uh, I mean the, <laughs> yeah, no, uh, let's correct that. Uh, let's set up the angelic church. That's it, the angelic There is a difference, isn't there? Phew. Tape, pardon me, tape worms. Uh, so, so now we have in heaven a divided kingdom because all the angels are put to the test whether they will do God's will, submit their free will to God's will or they'll submit their free will to Satan's will which is self-will and do your own thing, see? So the whole warning against self-will. Now, for all of us, that's the battle. If I said to you tonight, what is the cross in your life? What's the cross in my life? It's not something you wear around your neck, ladies. Not something we just have on the baptismal tank or out there with a nice fluorescent sign on it or in other churches with nice little pearls and pretty up the cross. It was a pretty rugged thing in the Bible days, but we got it all, you know, fluorescent up today make it more attractive. Thank you, Kevin. That's an excellent point. <laughs> yeah. So before we come to Jesus, every one of us, uh, I specialist. I will, I will, I will, I will, I will. It's like the Pharisee prayed with himself. He said... He said, I thank thee, I am not like other men. I fast, I tithe, I go to Waverley Christian Fellowship. <laughs> and I'm a jolly good fellow, and so says all of me. <laughs> okay. uh, how many know he needs to see an eye specialist? Okay. <laughs> I'm not going to finish this tonight, you can see that. Uh, okay, so, so all of us are eye specialists because that's the whole battle of your will against my will or your will against God's will. So when Jesus Christ comes into our life, what does he say? Father, not my will, but yours be done. So this I, the big I in all of us, is our self-will. 
When we accept Jesus Christ, he crosses out our will. And the cross principle in our life is not my will, but God's will be done. That's the whole battle. Because as I said in, in doctrine class, all the sin in the world comes out of self-will. Self-will is the root of all sin. And so when, when Satan came to earth into the Garden of Eden and popped into paradise there, he says on the same thing as he did to the angels upstairs. He said, Adam and Eve, uh, to Eve, Mrs. Adam, uh, you're not really a free will creation. I mean, God lets you eat all over the trees, but why does he hold that tree from you? There's some knowledge in that tree God doesn't want you to have. He's just a mean, mingy old God. And if you eat of that tree, you'll be like God. You'll be equal with him. So exercise your free will. Do your thing. And uh, we're all suffering as a result of it. See? So you can see why the scriptures are so important. A, a bishop must not be given a self-will. And uh, these are, they despise government, presumptuous. They're self-willed. And so that's the battle in all our life. Am I going to do the will of God? And see, I, when I was a younger kid, you know, about 18, many, many years ago, back in the dark ages, I went through the battle. Well, oh yeah, I'm just a slave to God's will. I'm going to give up being a Christian and backslide and, you know, just enjoy life. I'm going to live it up and live in sin and have a ball of a time. And then as I thought the thing through, I thought, well, I'm going to be a slave to somebody's will. If I'm, a sla if, I, if I'm given to self-will, I am a slave to self-will, and self-will self is Satan's will. But I'm going to be a slave to someone's will. And when I followed it through in my young days, about 18, I think, and when I was in the Air Force and I had this big battle, I thought, well, I'm a slave to somebody's will. It's either Satan's will or God's will. If, I, if I'm a slave to self-will, and I've got my free will, because I wish we could force everybody to accept Christ, Eh? but it would turn heaven into hell if you got them up there and said, well, I didn't want to come up here anyway. You made me accept Jesus against my will. You held a gun at my throat. Eh? It, would, it would turn heaven into hell. So God even respects our free will to let us go to hell. We want to. He's not going to force anybody against their will. So you can't force people to come to Waverley and can't force people to enjoy the meetings. They can sit there and mope and, you know, I, I can't do anything about it. It's voluntary free will. That's it. The whole issue is will. And all the surface problems in people's lives come out of the root problem, which is self-will. I'm going to do my thing. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. Full stop. You can take a hike. Okay, well, take a hike. So I'm going to be a slave to someone's will. That's what I had to sort out. And if, I'm a sl if I submit my free will and do my self-will, I'm a slave to Satan's will, and uh, where's the end of, where's, where's he going to take me? You see, we live in eternity with the one we serve in time. That's a frightening thought. So those people who serve the devil are going to live with the devil unhappily ever after. And then when I follow, okay, if I submit my free will to God's will and I'm a slave to somebody's will, what's the end of God's will for me? Happiness ever after and stuck with you. Isn't that great? Kevin, yes. Just one question on Saul and David. Uh, after David uh, committed adultery, mm -hmm. uh, in uh, 2 Samuel 12, 9, right. he commits uh, premeditated murder. Right. And in verse 14, the Lord instantly forgives him. Right. You suppose that the only reason the Lord instantly forgives him and he didn't forgive Saul 
was because he had an eternal covenant with David. Uh, that would be part of it, but because David was genuinely repentant. See, interesting, we'll have to finish on this, and we'll just have to pick this up again, that's all. Uh, Saul said, in fact, both Saul and David, when the prophet came to him, Saul said, I have sinned. But then, do you know, he said after that, honor me before the elders. Save face. But when the prophet came to David and told him about the little parable of the ewe lamb, the ewe lamb, David said, I've sinned. Full stop. Because he was genuinely repentant. Yes, David was genuinely repentant. Saul was not repentant. But the sad part is, and we'll have to finish on this, when you go through David's life story, these first 20 years were absolute blessing. But the last 20 years after David committed adultery, and this is a good point to make on your notes, David was pardoned but punished. And the fourfold sword never left David's house because of that adultery and murder. For 20 years he, paid, he, he had hell. And yet God judged, the peculiar thing here, every other king was judged by David or Jeroboam. And every king, so something in the grace of God and David's genuine repentance, but he was pardoned but punished. And I find people today pardoned, but they're still punished. Say, so, oh, God's not fair. No, God does. Because he should have been dead. He was, he was dead meat. So what would that. you say to a non-Christian when they say, how can God's anointing commit premeditated murder? Well, how would you answer that question? And so well, we've all still got the sinful nature in us. None of us are perfect. The potential is in every one of us, apart from the restraining grace of God. That's why we need to, all that. Hope you've enjoyed tonight. We'll just have to pick it up another night. Uh, Mark's going to be with you this week, next week, because I'm in Tasmania. So bring that sheet along, will you? And we'll try and finish that. But uh, as I said, there's so much on David. How many feel you've received something tonight? All right, let's uh, bow in prayer. Father, we just thank you for the uh, so many lessons that we learned from David's life. You said all these things were written for our learning and our admonition. And uh, we receive learning, we receive admonition, Lord, that by these things, that we, we may serve our generation, that we may submit our free will to do your good and perfect and acceptable will in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. Bless us now, Father, as we leave until we gather again in your precious name. And everybody said, Amen. For more in-depth teaching on Israel's kings, be sure to see Kevin Connor's book, Kings of the Kingdom, available from word.com.au, from amazon.com, and also in PDF format on Kevin's website, kevinconnor.org.